Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Cinema Nerd Presents Made in the 90s. My name is Kyle Woods. I'm here with my buddy Dylan Shore, and we are going to talk about Jack, the movie, and the character, and so much that goes along with it. Dylan, what is Jack? Who is Jack? Jack is a uh, boy that was born extremely premature with Warner, Warner syndrome. That's what it's called, right? Oh. Uh, like it's an exaggerated form of Warner syndrome. Yeah, did they give it? I don't know if they gave it a name in the movie, did they? I can't remember if the doctor says it in the beginning. Interesting. Yeah, so. yeah, but it is a type of Warner syndrome, an exaggerated type of Warner syndrome. Like it doesn't happen this rapidly. Right. I, yeah. Uh, no, no, in no way would a 10 year old boy look like a 45 year old man. <laughs> I mean, not to go out of my depth, but I feel like progeria is the one that comes to mind if we're, we're talking reality based explanations for Jack but that's a whole other can of worms, isn't it? I mean, that's the, uh, it's a, like a genetic disorder. Yeah, and it's also associated with uh, like extreme light sensitivity and again, very rapid aging. Gotcha, but Jack doesn't have light sensitivity. That's true, he's a day walker. Yes, uh, but Jack is played by Robin Williams and he was directed by Francis Ford Coppola. And this movie also stars Diane Lane, Jennifer Lopez, and Bill Cosby, and Fran Drescher. Yeah, I was, when the credits, the credits open with, with Fran Drescher, she's the first person on the title she, card. Yes, it opens with Fran Drescher, and then the very, so I'm like, yeah, and then the very next title card is, and Bill Cosby, and I'm like, oh, forgot about that aspect of the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, uh, before we talk too much more about all, all of the ins and outs of boys, there are a lot to unpack here. Let's talk about some other movies. What are you watching? Let's see. I watched the Fear Street trilogy on Netflix. Right on. I, I keep almost putting it on, and I just haven't pulled the trigger yet. Do it. Yeah. Do it. It's a lot of fun. I think you could get Mags into it, too, like because she doesn't like crazy horror, but this one is like a lot of fun to watch because it's nostalgic of older horror movies. Okay. So the first one is 1994. Right. Like direct uh, screen, like a parody of, I don't know how to say it, not even like, like that shot of Drew Barrymore running in the backyard about to get like grabbed and stabbed. They mimicked that scene really well. I was like, oh shit, that's, that's really cool. It just, I, I just saw it in my head. I was like, that's totally stealing from screen and uh it's a lot of fun and then the second one is 1978 but they're all these are all interconnected so the first one ends with like them learning about like shit that happened back in the past and they go and find a woman who was there and uh the second movie is about her journey in 1978 and it kind of comes back at the end, back to 1994, just to kind of like wrap up the ending. In 1660, uh, 1666, well, the end of 1978 does like a, a body switch thing. So all of the <laughs> awesome, all of the actors who you've been seeing are now going to be the characters for 1666 and you learn about like all the witch trials that were happening and but you're just seeing it through the actors that you've been watching which i thought was really cool even though you still get hints that you know they're embodying these other characters they're it's odd it really worked though right Uh, and i 1666 is by far the best one i thought like as it started i was like "Mm, it's a little slow and then, but it, it was still visually interesting and I was digging what was going on. And then like, you know, 25 minutes in, something big happens and I was like, cool, let's get the story going. And from there, it just kept being interesting to me. Right and yeah, I liked it a lot. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. Interesting to see a trilogy progress backwards through time. And I'm happy to hear that they've, they've gotten some leverage out of it and that they're doing something with it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, there it's part three, 1666 does like the first 
our yeah our is 1666 uh telling that story and then it wraps up 1994 and it does it in a very funny way like because once it jumps back you're like oh yeah now we're back to 1994 and the girl kind of looks off camera and it go really quickly goes fear street 1994 part two fun day yeah what else Uh, then I watched the White Boy documentary about White Boy Rick on Netflix. Okay. That 14-year-old in Detroit who was uh, brought in by the FBI to be an informant and, like, infiltrate these drug gangs in his area. Because right. his, his dad was, like, selling black market guns to these gangs, and his dad wouldn't help. So they got a hold of his kid and infiltrated him uh, and made him an informant. And after years, they just kind of stopped talking to him and he was like well I don't know what I'm supposed to do I'm 17 years old now and I'm making so much money I'm just I'm gonna keep doing this and you know it wasn't a kingpin or anything but was definitely pushing drugs throughout this area of Detroit he was super well known uh and then he gets arrested with a bag full of money and they're like whoa where'd this money come from and they scour the whole neighborhood and go into houses find 650 kilos half a block away from where they were pulled over from the deal they sold it and the guy stashed it under the porch they found it he gets sentenced to like 600 years and he's 17 years old and he's he was still in prison up to 2017 when they got uh he got paroled by the city of michigan but immediately had to go to florida to serve time for like some auto charges or some shit like that but everyone like they interview his past drug dealing cohorts like his old friends they interview a guy who was murdered 30 people and sentenced to 17 years he knew white boy rick he was hired to kill white boy rick at one point and he goes the guy's been I, I murdered 30 people. He had some fucking cocaine on him. Let white boy Rick out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the sad realities is, is that dead bodies don't cost the government anything, but if you're fucking with the cash flow... And, uh-huh. and they were obviously trying to, like, kind of hide a little bit. Like, they were saying they that were. he wasn't an informant and... Yeah, of course. They tried to wash their hands of this shit because they did it. It's a long history of that stuff that's due for another podcast. But yeah, fuck all of the FBI practices when it comes to dealing with informants and creating terrorists. And now I have not seen the recent movie that was made about him with Matthew McConaughey that plays his dad. Okay. But uh, I heard it wasn't the greatest, but I actually kind of do want to see it now after watching the documentary. Yeah. I'm always a little softer on the movie once I've seen the documentary. Uh Uh-huh. Because, you know, I mean, having tried to create these things, you're like, well, how do you fit this shit in? I think that's one of the successes of the, the OJ series recently was that they, they did that manage- seven hour with- documentary? Yeah. Well, no, like the 10 hour documentary is amazing. The, was it Ryan? It's the guys from Glee. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't even watch that because I was like, this isn't the documentary. The documentary was so good that I did not care about his soap opera take of the- of the thing fair enough I, I mean i found myself missing parts of the information but i also really enjoyed it as a dramatic television series fair fair what else you uh, got? i got two more i went and saw pig oh, okay new movie which is now you can rent it now on like itunes and stuff oh yeah uh i like i like i i liked it there's a couple things i was like hmm I don't know if it really needed that kind of story element. There's just like this weird, like violent, aggressive thing that happens right before you get to learn more about Nicolas Cage, hmm. like this fighting thing in like an underground hotel basement. And I was like, I don't know if that part was really needed. You could have found a different way to do it. I get it. It was kind of in this weird, dark tone of the world. And then my buddy, like right around that time, he starts to go like, dude, this movie's really dark. And, I, and I'm looking, I'm like, it's really dark. Like they only choose to light the back of the people. The, the front is truly dark. There's certain, some, some scenes that are not that way, 
but like he he purposely frames them up against windows and then has the bright white light coming in on them and everything in front is kind of like this soft hazy darkness Mm. and he goes could that be the projector and i'm like that looks super intentional that doesn't look like a projector thing so I was like, I'm curious. I would actually like, I would rent it to rewatch it to see if it does that at home. On yeah, well, you're describing a silhouette, right? So there's, you gotta- But they're not it. fully silhouetted. There is one, I did lean over. There is one scene uh, where I was like, that's pretty much a silhouette, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but it's all purposeful. And I'm just not sure. Like it almost took away from the great acting that's happening because you can only see this piece of their face. You can't see everything. And Nicolas Cage is giving a great performance. Right on. So I wasn't going to bring this up. I'm going to jump in now and talk about a movie that I've seen recently. And then I, I want to hear about the, the last one on your list. Yeah, but do it. it. It's the new Soderbergh. No Sudden Move. I haven't watched it yet, but my buddy saw it and he, he was like, I was mixed on it. I was mixed at best. I think there's major, major problems with the movie that were just sort of not acknowledging as a critical community and Hmm. the script is it's the script really walks the line between is this thin or is it making a very specific thing (laughs) about subtlety and i land on the page of the script being really really good Hmm. and i think my buddy said he felt like Soderbergh was taking himself too seriously with this movie i think that's what he said okay so Soderbergh as Per Soderberghian norms, he's the director, the cinematographer, the DP, and also the editor. Strangely, he credits himself as the editor under a woman's name, which I don't know if is a normal practice for him. But after watching the movie, I felt like, bro, you were trying to take on Sally's panache here, you know, and um, like Sally Minky, Sally Menken, right? See, I'm blanking on her last name. Um, no, I, that's Alan Menken, but Sally, it's, anyways. So she, does uh, all of, she did all of Tarantino's movies and stuff. Right, and uh, who is the woman that worked for, you know, Scorsese very famously? Um, uh, yeah. Thelma uh, Schumacher. Yes. So there's a tradition of really talented female editors who make great movies out of insane men's ideas. And mm-hmm. I... I just felt weird about that credit and that was what came to my mind but more about you the, looked it up like that was him it under was a him. yes yeah yeah it's him I like I said I don't want to even unpack all of that here because I'm trying to make a different point honestly yeah uh, after this podcast I am going to be looking this up because that is crazy it's a nutso decision man and Why? he the way that he shoots this movie is literally the entire thing is on an 18 millimeter. So, bro, it's fisheye. The mm-hmm. I hate that. Time. I don't mean most of the time. I mean literally. Every, Just like warped, a warped image. Every single fucking shot in this movie. That I think is inexcusable enough. The real problem that I have is that there are actors in this movie giving an incredible performance and Don Cheadle is not the least among them who's in a lot of this movie and I can never fucking see him. The movie is very intentionally dark. Okay. It's a, it's a dark tale, but I just feel like you didn't bother to light your talent appropriately, man. Uh-huh. I, so I was just disgust. like, sorry, I don't mean to be extreme, but the visual noise of that movie really kept me far away from it. And I, I kind of consider it a failure. I think the script is really strong. You might find Pig kind of a little bit of the same way. Although what you're saying, the warped image would ruin it for me. I would get so old of that. Pig does none of that. It's gorgeous looking cinematography, but there's just the light. Like they just chose not to front light, essentially. It's supposed to look like natural lighting, which I totally get. I just, I want, give me some bounce on Nicolas Cage's face because I want to see that beauty. You know, I'm with you on that one. We don't, I don't go to these movies to see real life. I see a heightened and, version you know i'm looking yeah. for a lifted experience so mm-hmm. all right what, what else you got uh the last one is the green knight don't say anything else about this movie because they've canceled the uk release and like i can't well why um i have my suspicions that i like shouldn't comment publicly but 
the reason that they've given is that COVID cases are spiking, which is bullshit on its face because many other movies are being released wide in the UK. They pulled back the Green Knight. I will stop. Was it supposed to be already out? Was it supposed to be a simultaneous, simultaneously released with the US? No, bro. (laughs) I know, I know. That never that happens a few times like mission impossible that happens yeah and like fast and the furious and shit like that but no it was so but this one was actually scheduled to open this friday on the 6th of august and that's okay so it's still pretty close it's only a week after but it's been canceled indefinitely so i can't know much more about it i don't want to know anything more about it i just want to see this movie so bad it's uh I definitely liked the. I liked it a lot. There's a lot I liked. Uh, super ethereal, not like crazy hard to. I mean, there's like pieces where you're like, "Oh, am I getting this right?" Like it's not like distracting from the story. Sure. But uh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. great. I don't want to say anything more. Thank you, sir. It's I'm really anything. looking forward to seeing it. All right, All right, I got a couple I can bring up since we last spoke i've completed my journey through the lakes placid oh nice yeah you did that before you watched the last predator movie i well it's also i'm short on an alien versus predator movie oh yeah (laughs) yeah that's right yeah but they were here in front of me so there that's what happened and none of them are terribly good but honestly by the end of it they start really just leaning into like thriller exploitation schlock yeah how was the lake placid versus anaconda not great it's (laughs) it's probably the low spot in the series just because it's trying to do so much you know and they're all bad cgi Bad, yeah, because they're all. I think they're all sci-fi originals. I like, got you know. Oh, okay, yeah, that's they're at all least you in that I know day. the look. Yeah, I get it. But they're, yeah, they're fine. Um, Robert England shows up in the last one or two. He's in a few of them. That's something. Okay, you want to hear about a better movie? If he's not Freddy or the teacher in Urban Legend. <laughs> No, but it is nice to watch him kind of like like Urban Legend where he's leaning on the persona where he's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know who I'm the totally fuck right. I am. I'm being yeah, yeah. scary here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then the comp- competitive swimmer enters the mix at one point in this series. Spoiler alert, he's not fast enough. No way in hell is he fast enough. <laughs> That'd be really funny if he was. <laughs> That would be, yeah, that's a different movie. Like he just all of a sudden just starts going. <laughs> like blows on the fingertips and just like, shoo. He, he, Kevin Costner in Waterworld. No, I'm thinking more like Bugs Bunny when he does the propeller thing with his uh-huh, ears, with just ears. like fucking takes off. You know what I mean? Love it. I uh, watched Shiva, baby. Ooh, love it. I didn't enjoy my experience with it but i keep thinking about it and the only change i would make is like yeah no we get it it's stressful the baby doesn't have to cry every 30 seconds can we i'm trying to watch a movie here it is a very tense stressful movie it reminded me of an ibsen play in that it just you just keep ratcheting it up and ratcheting it up and then when the thing happens everybody acts like nothing happened and then the movie's over I mean, it, yeah, it it was a short film first, and then they turned it into an hour and fifteen minute movie. Yeah, it feels right at a you know seventy five minutes, about perfect. Oh, it's it a works. great thing. It's a great watch for that. Yeah, like it's quick. It's to the point. Little over an episode of like a TV show. Yeah, totally. It's yeah. a very special episode of I don't know Blossom or something. <laughs> <laughs> what else do you got bull durham love it i rewatched that when i was in south dakota with sarah okay so what <laughs> i really liked it it's very watchable 
it's mostly entertaining, but I think that's a lot due to superstar charisma. You know what I mean? Like oh, any, all three of them are killer. Right. And they're great as a triad and any combination of those three as a pair is double thumbs up. But the plot line that Susan Sarandon has to occupy, the things that she does as a character, her role, it like we're trying to mash a rom-com and a sports movie together. And because of that, I just am like, who is this person? Was that a real, I mean, I know groupies are a thing. I, uh-huh. I just could not get a read on what was going on there at, at any point, but I loved the hell out of watching it. I think she's just a woman who knows what she wants and she really knows what she wants. And then she realizes that she kind of needs love and she wants some love. Yeah, but I don't, yeah. I mean, that's the rom-com stuff. I don't think she's ever shown to, I mean, she knows what she wants, but she's willing to accept so much less, which is in direct conflict with her character introduction, which is like, nope, I run this shit. I run this show. Yeah, her narration as she walks to the... Yeah, yeah. So I found the plot mechanics of her character specifically to be very eight you know it's the 80s what can we say well ron shelton wrote and directed that movie and he also wrote and directed a movie that i was gonna talk about because i rewatched it this past week but Bring i was like oh, I, think we, I think we might need to save the discussion because we should do it for the podcast oh because it's one of my favorites <laughs> what do we White got buddy i love white man can't jump yeah i showed it to my buddy taylor and he was all about it too he loved it and i'm I, like i love this movie let's put it on the schedule because i watched it for the first time last year legitimately during a lockdown and was like oh yeah oh, this for is the first time for the yeah i've seen it once in my life it was a year ago i thought it was amazing hell yeah okay yeah i'm gonna add it to our list because it definitely deserves to be watched yes rosie's a superstar and she just yes. will never not prove that her whole jeopardy side plot was <laughs> Man. all right um i'm only going to talk about one more thing because it's not a movie yet uh but there were some set photos released from a movie filming that stars jessica elba and zach efron and this yes. is the moment where I come out as bi. I just didn't even know a movie could. That's not. I'm sorry. I don't mean to. I'm. I'm not. But I. And I'm not trying to. That's fine. That's fine. That experience. But that's okay. You, it's okay. You're bi. They are such beautiful people, and I cannot wait to watch them kiss. <laughs> that's. I gotta see this photo. What do I type in? I would type in Jessica Alba Zac Efron movie filming now. I don't know. It came up on a Twitter, and I didn't even bother to look more at it because my. You know, no thoughts, just looking at yeah, the they, they're, they're looking all like serious and they're yeah, standing they're, next to a skyscraper. Uh, the shot I saw was them in a car, but. Okay. Yeah, no, I don't see that image at all. This is like a superimposed bad, like a. Like a fan uh, poster. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I, I don't know what this movie is. I don't know when it's coming out. I can't tell you anything more about it other than my heart will not be still at the thought of those two people being in one movie. And I cannot wait to see it. It's a behind the scenes photo and you can see the camera guy. Yeah. 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 Uh, I see it now. Yeah. They're very attractive people. They are very attractive people and two really like charismatic, charming ass people too. You know, they, they can definitely lift a performance or a, a, not a performance, but material just by being there. They're movie stars. They're kind of the last of them, you know, not the only ones, but anyways. Anyways. On to more distressing topics. Let's talk about Jack, I guess. Yeah, because I, I like this movie. <laughs> what? Are you a maniac? Have you... Why? I love this movie since I was a kid. I love Robin Williams. Okay. Movie. Very sweet. It's uh, so sentimental. That is one of the major. Sentimental. That's maybe the biggest problem that I have with the movie. A, a classic made in the '90s conflict here, where Dylan loves sentimentality and Kyle cannot understand human behavior. Yes. Uh, oh, just a fun fact: Warner syndrome is a form of progeria. It's all coming together. Boom. Um, so you love this movie. Do you think, honestly, though, honestly, am I, am I saying it's a great movie? 
No, it does have a lot of structural story problems in it. And Robin Williams at certain times is a little bit too much. Like just- I don't I think like that's the problem. I, I would argue that the movie has only structural issues and it's not a lot so of much structure. Together. And Robin Williams is not actually the problem with this movie. I got a rant, but I want to know a little more about where you're coming from. <laughs> yes, there are structure problems, but I think everyone in this movie is giving a very heartfelt performance. They're like, maybe even Bill Cosby. But <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, you know what occurred to me was, <laughs> we'll just get this out of the way now. The number 86 popped into my head when he showed up on screen. And I was like, oh yeah, the last time I saw like a headline about his credible accusers, the number was greater than 80. The man is a prolific monster. It, it just is shocking the level of depravity and- And he still denies it. <laughs> unbelievable. I, yeah. But I think the single best scene in this movie comes really early on and it's the- uh, 90 degree angle, close up on Bill Cosby's face where he's trying to convince the parents to let Jack into school because uh -huh. he couldn't treat people differently. And he's got a, de a decent speech and it reminds me of Bill Cosby, like the bigot, you know, the reason that he rose to prominence. Yeah. That's good casting and good yeah. filmmaking to land all of that in one moment just based on his iconography as a performer at that point in time. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think even Jennifer Lopez gives kind of like a very good subtle performance too. Like it's a very early performance for her. Like Here's it's coming right after Selena, I think. Hot take, J-Lo, never bad. I think we need to start putting her in the, in the category of she's got a handful of really great performances, but she has never dropped the ball, man. Any yeah, movie that you're watching J-Lo on screen, you're just, I'm in. And she's great here. The like, it, it is maybe one of the strongest characters in the movie because I understand her as a person. Oh, she's an educator. She's a nurturer. She understands that this isn't actually a 10 year old. And she treats him like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah. I'm, I'm really curious though, why, why Francis Ford Coppola? I have a note here that just says, this movie was written by cocaine and edited by heroin. It I'm actually looking at the writers right now. James DeMonico wrote a lot of the Purge, uh, all of the Purge movies, I guess. Oh no, just the first one. And then the rest are like, he gets story credit because sure. he created the character kind of thing. Well, those are good uh, He did the remake of Assault on Precinct 13. He wrote The Negotiator um <laughs> okay the but the negotiator is also is just as dumb was i on here ranting and raving about that i, I don't remember the, i, I love the negotiator too though i do too and i watched it a few weeks ago and i loved it but it is just like really really yeah, I even like his remake of assault on precinct 13 is it the original no but i like it because i like ethan hawk and lawrence fishburne <laughs> actually i'm in the same boat with you yeah, like Andrea De Mateo. Uh, yes. <clears throat> Love her. But um, what was the other guy? Because this has two writers. So yeah. it could have passed off at one point. And, and this other guy has nothing else. I wonder if he's kind of got a, a like a fixer guy and he had just done enough on this script because it really... Well, you know, it, him... And the other writer made a short in 94 called Red. And about that they worked together on that and Jack, and then they parted ways. Interesting. I bet because he didn't like the experience, maybe. I give high praise to anybody who made one movie and bounced the fuck out of Hollywood. Oh no, he still tried to make movies. Like a TV movie, a short a TV series like 97 to 2001 to 2011 to 2014. So this is so again I'm I'm guessing here 
but if we went behind closed doors, I assume that that second credit there is somebody who has been an employed writer in the system for this entire time. And his whole thing is just putting pink pages on green pages uh -huh. and delivering studio notes. Because yeah. he, he this, did direct uh, the sequel to Angels in the Outfield, Angels in the End Zone. That was his first thing he directed. Okay. Besides the short, obviously, but. I would like to see Angels in the Infield. I, angels in the Dugout? Okay, how about Angels in the Backfield? We're going to soccer now. Ooh, ooh, <laughs> Angels in the Midcourt? Basketball movie. Angels I think we need to add Angels in the Outfield to our next list. I, any Christopher Lloyd is okay with me, buddy. Same, same. And Danny Glover, man. A lot of great older actors in the 90s that just like fucking stand out to me. Um, okay, where are we going from here? So, okay, let's, let's say, how do, how do you fix this movie though? Like, I honestly, it, you, I, it, I, it's I, so weird because it might not even need to be a movie, but I think like Robin Williams, that's the reason why this got made probably. Like, I, uh, let's see. I think it said like John Travolta was interested in playing the lead role. <laughs> that would be weird. Oh, that would be so much better because it would be so much stranger. You know what I it mean? It would be really strange. If, if John Travolta had made this movie, nobody would ever stop talking about it. You know? Like Robin Williams kind of fits in this thing. There's a childlike innocence to Robin Williams where you're almost willing to believe that he can embody a 10-year-old spirit. He does. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but if John Travolta were in this movie, I was just talking about this with uh, over on filmography. It's been a while back, but we did Amy Heckerling, which involved the um, uh, talking baby movies. What the fuck are those yeah, called? Yeah. Uh, look, look who's, who's talking. talking. Yeah. And knowing what you know about John Travolta now, watching him interact with the baby goes from like very, he's very good in those movies. He really is. Mm -hmm. And then there's this part of you that's just like, get him away from the child. This is not okay. And so, man, just imagine watching John Travolta interact with 10 year olds in this movie would be so much more upsetting. It would be really upsetting. Oh my God. Uh, but, uh, and this movie is upsetting. I don't find it to be upsetting. You're a maniac. Yeah, I might be. But uh, apparently due to an apology deal with Robin Williams over royalties with Aladdin, yeah uh williams was guaranteed this role and you coppola know, and williams had been friends and coppola always desired to direct williams in a film okay i mean that's credence to what you're saying robin williams is the reason this thing got made do you know the story about the genie i think so guess a number dylan if you had to guess how much robin williams got paid up front to voice the genie how much do you a think a lot it is? a lot Put one number out there. Just say any number. 10. 20. What? 10, 20 what? Mill. You are oh. over by approximately $10 million or $20 million. One. He got he paid $1 million and was guaranteed more on the back end? Bro, he got paid $75,000. And because Disney does not pay for animation, uh -huh. that was the whole fucking show for him. And he was just like, no way. Hang on a second. That's made why he didn't come back for back. Return of Jafar. I, and that's why... But then he comes back for sense. Prince of Thieves. I assume they paid him. I, maybe they that's part of the makeup. They paid him a lot of money. I'm yes. sure I, they on did. Prince of Thieves, I'm sure he got paid a lot. For so, having not to do a lot. Because it wasn't a theater movie. It was like a straight to VHS, I believe. Yeah, Just like Return of Jafar. All those sequels came right, out to right. VHS. So that makes more sense that Robin Williams is the reason that this thing got made. Mm -hmm. I, so you asked how to fix this movie. And my answer is make one choice and commit to this choice. The biggest problem with this film is its lack of tone. It can never commit to being a melodrama, a farcical comedy, 
a, a straight up drama, which at times it seems to want to be, or maybe because it's so poorly executed, I read satire as well. But that's me projecting onto this movie when I'm bored, you know? Uh-huh. So, um, I, man, yeah, honestly, I think the thing that really just works for me is that all the performances are solid and it's just a genuinely sweet movie. You could watch this with kids. You it like, and uh, it also feels like it's from a kid's brain in a way, the way things are just kind of like strewn together. It's just like Jack essentially being with his friends in a lot of different areas or Jack being alone or the kid. It's like the following the kids, you're never really with the parents alone for brief seconds you are. Here, yeah, we do, and it's largely expositional. At one point, actually, I got it written down here because the mother says to the father, he's very confused. I think he realized how fragile life is. Yeah, there's a lot of dumb minds like that. Let me go on a little bit of a rant here because I, I think I, it will address some of the distance that we're experiencing and some of the questions that you're asking here. So when we start this movie, it is a farce right? The Halloween party, which by the way, I want to go to. That yeah, looks, that looks like a lot of fun. Looks real, real cool, man. Yeah. And then we end up in the hospital and there's like several seconds to minutes, like a good 90 seconds, if not more of bits, just like trying to get through security and oh, you got the tin on and there's no smoking in here and whatever. So that stuff's actually kind of funny. Right. And there's a bit later on that I actually think is really, really funny when Jack gets out of jail. That's right. The 10 year old gets arrested Mm -hmm, because he goes to a bar and we'll we'll get there. But the police officer has the pog, the slammer. He's like, wait, there was a slammer in here. And the cop's like, yeah, I, I was trying to take your slammer, which is a funny bit. And also peak 90s stuff. So I was totally. on board for Pogs, that. I love Pogs, man. <laughs> so did I. Who wasn't? I mean, it was the 90s. We were all into the uh, pomegranate orange guava. Is that what that was? That sounds amazing. Right? Right. Um, anyways, but it from there gets really, really dry. Really, really quick. The next... I, I mean, you get the character introduction of Jack where you're not quite sure what he's doing with the breathing and stuff, right? Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then we get into the real world. Bill Cosby is tutoring this guy because he doesn't fit in, right? hmm So, okay, I, I'm just- the, the, the first act actually has- the structure, like there's a story in that first act, but once he goes to school, it just be kind of comes scenes thrown together that don't really have a coherency, but they connect slightly because we are moving forward in the story, but they're really just like slammed together. I, I have a, a note later on that is, this is a very so then movie as opposed to a because of that, type of movie right and so uh-huh, if you're uh-huh. developing a narrative you really want to impose different ways well, to do it but you know what feels really long is his first day of school you see his first day of school he fucking is alone in the playground for a long time those girls are picking on him and then the boys are fucking looking at him weird and then they play basketball but then you're like back in school and then he goes home all excited and is on the phone telling his dad what happened. I feel like that first day of school is a really long part of the movie. It, it's actually two days, which is a problem. Is it two days? It is two days. So like the wow. first day he kind of can't integrate. And the second day he has a basketball hoop that he asked his dad to install that we never saw. That's but right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basketball, whatever. So it is technically two days, but you're right. That whole section is too long and it points at, something that makes me crazy about this movie. So I'm gonna start backwards and then I promise I'm, I'm getting to this, which is that this movie broke the trope of the new kid in class for me because everything in this movie up until that point is already so bizarre where I'm like, oh wait, no, I guess it does make sense that they're introducing Jack in front of the class because this is a very strange circumstance for everybody involved. 
it would make sense for the teacher and or the leadership of the school to stand by Jack as he meets his peers and help him integrate into this environment, which can be very, very harsh. But then I'm thinking about how every school movie has a version of this scene. Where yeah. the, oh, tons. Dylan, you've, have you gone to new schools? Yes. Have you had new students come into your schools? Yes. Have you ever had this experience? Nope. Because it doesn't exist. If you go to a new school- It might have existed in like the 50s. <laughs> sure, okay. But it just is like, I, I didn't realize it until watching Jack this time that that's pure movie bullshit. Oh yeah, it's such a cliche. Okay. It's such but a fucking is so bad that it broke other movies for me. We just talked about Can't Hardly Wait, which does this exact same scene. Uh-huh, yeah. Oh, it's bullshit. Show Amanda Becker around. Yes. I mean. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jack is terrible. It's the fucking worst. Here's my rant. Are you ready? It stops Go. being farce. It goes super melodrama, sentimental earnest, but it's insane on its face because the only comedic elements that we have are Williams acting like a child, which is funny, right? He's like tearing the pants and, you know, okay, but he is supposed to be a child. So he's just behaving normally, right? That's how mm -hmm. comedy works. So either, sorry, that's not how comedy works. If we just talked about Clifford the other day, I'm all over the fucking place. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Let me try and stay grounded. Jack's got you flustered. It's the goddamn worst movie of all time. Oh, I disagree on that. I certainly not the worst one, but I really have a hard time with it. Sorry, two seconds. <laughs> oh, the kitty. Sorry. Mine's under my comforter right now. Oh, buddy. Um, so where the hell was I in this mania of things? You watched Clifford? Yeah, I, we talked about it actually. <laughs> we did? Yeah, I, I really think we did. Um, the big red dog. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, Charles Grodin and Martin Short. I totally remember now. Because <laughs> I keep seeing shit for Clifford the Big Red Dog new movie. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll do that someday. That is too funny. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I watched the movie about the insane 10-year-old played by Martin Short. Which I think is kind of the same bag. That movie's also kind of a collection of scenes. Yeah. And in that movie, I'm a little more willing to accept it because it's Martin Short and Charles Grodin. But it also takes a perspective. The perspective that it takes is fucking insane, which yes. is that this child is just a, a demon, you know, just a force of nature. But it's a trope that, you know, problem child namely <laughs> exhibits as the whole point of its movie existing that's a perspective this movie changes focus for the first 45 minutes it's kind of doing one thing and then the second hour and 15 minutes every 15 minutes or so it really shifts turn uh, gears in terms of its stakes and so what it ultimately come becomes about is whether or not robin williams will survive, which is another terrible line delivered in this movie. Oh, what do I want to be when I grow up? Alive. Alive. And obviously that's the thing. We, we get a sense of that just as human beings watching this movie where you're like, oh, he ages four times faster? That's, damn, what's that going to be like? So there's some interesting stuff here that the movie is just never willing to explore, man. That's fair. There, uh, there's a quote from Coppola. I'm going to read it real quick. Please. It says, Jack was a movie that everybody hated and I was constantly damned and ridiculed for. I must say, I find Jack sweet and amusing. I don't dislike it as much as everyone, but that's obvious. I directed it. I know I should be ashamed of it, but I'm not. 
I don't know why everybody hated it so much. I think it was because of the type of movie it was. It was considered that I made Apocalypse Now, or it was considered that I had made Apocalypse Now, and I'm like a Marty Scorsese type of director, and here I am making this dumb Disney film with Robin Williams. But I was always happy to do any type of movie. That's very evidently true when you read over his filmography and yeah he's got a crazy bag of movies especially later on in his career and really early in his career which is understandable because like, uh, he's kind of a you're going to talk about finian's rainbow finian's rainbow yeah there you go i mean he's the last vestige of the studio system so at a certain point he just has to do the job right it's literally his day job so i'll, I'll give him you know, a slight pass for some of those early ones before The Godfather comes out and he can write his own ticket. You're just sort of working, right? And <laughs> Finian's Rainbow is an insane movie on its face. Um, it, uh, 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 Jesus Christ. I don't even know what to say. Okay, okay, okay. Here's the end of the rant. Are you ready? Yes. I think he was trying to make Frankenstein. And when this movie is being Frankenstein, it almost works. So that's why we end up with so, throughout the movie, we end up in Jack's perspective a lot where he's like, there's a lot of faces coming at the screen. There's a lot of kind of chaos because he doesn't understand this world and why would he? We're also asked to like really sympathize with Jack as a character as being a monster and just being blamed for who he is by nature of existence. And that stuff's all really potent and there's you know, good stuff in there, quality cinema extractable moments that this movie just veers away from. So to answer his question about like, I don't know why everybody's so hard on it. I'll return to my previous point is like, because you refuse to make a choice. Tell me what this movie is about. If it's gonna be a farce, this is another one that we talked about, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, several weeks ago, but like Dragon Quest is another uh -huh. movie that refuses to make a choice. Where is this a dumb kids movie? Is this high romance? Is, it just never lands in a lane. And Jack- Or does it blend the genres together? No, it does not. No, no, it does not at all blend these <laughs> genres together. At least I feel like Jack is playing off of a family melodrama, which can have some comedy in it because it's meant for a family. It's got lighthearted moments. I think it's pretty consistent with that, but it does, I think it's in the script. Like there's really bad dialogue in most of this movie. I think the best thing that's written in this movie is Jack's valedictorian speech. Fucking love that. I love the speech. Oh, and when he passed away, someone put the speech over clips of his movies and it made me cry so hard. The thing you're describing on YouTube is better than anything in the film Jack. But it's the direct monologue. Right. And again, it's because the, the YouTube creator made a choice. We're going hardcore sentimental in an area that demands sentimentality. This movie refuses to buy into that. So when we have the ultimate conflict of like, oh my God, did he have a heart attack? Will Jennifer Lopez be the cause of his death? No, 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 don't worry about that. He shows up at the end. It's fine. Everything's fine. And he has some form of angina. That doesn't actually go on to affect him in any material way. What he actually dies from is his old age, which you know, that's life. Okay, a lot of 50-year-olds have a heart incident and then go on to live for another 20 years and die of old age. But mm -hmm. a movie needs stakes. So when you tell me this is a problem- there, There's no stakes in this movie whatsoever. None, none whatsoever, man. And even if I try and draw it out to the most grandiose scale, it's existential. It's like, can you find a place in this world? Is there a purpose to your life, even if it's short? Eat because it's short, is it more meaning? Whatever. There are lots of interesting themes that they just have no interest in exploring or acknowledging or making an interesting movie about. That's it, 
for sure. So I don't know. What else can I say? Like you mentioned, the school stuff is way too long. That basketball sequence in particular is crazy fucking long. Um, Life is the most exciting thing that's ever happened to him in his life. And the soundtrack at that point, the score is, I want to talk about Brian Adams. Okay. I want to talk about Brian Adams and Michael Kamen. Okay. Because you know, (laughs) you know, Prince of Thieves, Three Musketeers. These are movies that famously feature Brian Adams credit songs. You know who else scored those movies? No way. Fucking came in in every instance, dude. (laughs) And loves Brian Adams, dude. We all love Brian Adams. If it could be the summer of '69 all over again, we would go there. I'd go. And there's no love like your love. And anything I do, Dylan, that's like a knife. (sighs) And it cuts like a knife. So <laughs> oh good golly so but michael came in is one of the problems with this movie because the soundtrack i i feel like it's, i'm honestly baffled that he's used brian adams so many times this is nuts. any shot he gets and even when brian adams is not a part of this movie the things that are happening sonically are baffling to me it, it feels like it was written in the 80s and might have been interesting then but I, I just don't know why you wouldn't give it it's so sentimental give me a Hans Zimmer score just like throw some fucking strings at me dude mm-hmm. I mean he does have some good scores later on and right like before he and- died Dude, before yeah. this, Michael Kamen is a very talented yeah. musician. I'm not, I'm not coming after Michael Kamen. Like, I just think it's a bizarre choice. Like, every single choice in this movie is so bizarre. Michael Kamen wrote the fucking wall. And the dialogue well, soundtracks are, well, he didn't, I mean, okay, he has some credited material. Yes. But he, the dude is good at what he does. And the music here is good. Like, it's not, oh bad music it just is and that lead weapon score is fantastic and oh man there's like a lander though (laughs) that's not a bad score i mean that movie's insane but the score is not i couldn't place the score on the top of my head at all it uh wavers between a little synth and a little classical and for me it works damn his uh his career in movies is kind of like how you describe Jack. It's all over the place. But most of it's successful. Yeah, there's some random ones in here, but like pretty much after Pink Floyd, he did Cronenberg's Dead Zone, Gilliam's Brazil, and then like a couple of random ones, Highlander, which I'm not sure. Was that a big movie when it came out? It wasn't, right? I would be ill-equipped to discuss that yeah i don't know uh and then lethal weapon and adventures in babysitting die hard hey, the adventures in babysitting score is pretty good i love that movie i was just watching a thing where they talk about disney plus editing like stuff out of content on disney plus and adventures in babysitting they cut her out saying uh when she's singing the song in the bar i got the babysitting blues yeah. Uh, don't fuck with this babysitter. They cut. They make her say like, "Don't fool with this babysitter" or some shit. Damn, that's a bummer. Yeah, I fucking love that. Yeah, I enjoy that movie. Also, um, speaking of other movies, I want to go back to Jack because Michael McKean shows up. Yes, does. is that a toupee or is that his actual hair? <laughs> definitely a toupee <laughs> i think michael mckeon's been thinning since like 1973 you know <laughs> but it, that's a good character choice i'm with that and i was like oh yeah michael mckeon's here and i was like oh yeah we're watching jack so everything in this movie is going to be wasted 
Do you you saw this as a kid? I think I did. Yeah, I do remember. I think I might have even had the VHS because I really remember the like the jumping jack cover, right? So it's just like a white background and Robin Williams doing a jumping jack, right? There it is right there, baby. So I had this VHS. I've definitely seen this movie before and was right to avoid it every single time since then. <laughs> At one well, point, the mom, when they're on the phone, that scene that we were talking about earlier, where it's like, is it the same day as the next day and the dad's calling from the photo shoot? Oh, he's a photographer. Why is that consequential to the plot? Guess mm-hmm. there's boobs in this. Anyways, um, I really think she calls him Charlie. Who? Jack. See, she calls somebody in the scene Charlie. She's like, Charlie, why are you doing this? Wait. And the son's name is Jack and the father's name is Brian. And I just have no idea who the fuck she's talking to. And that is in this movie. Oh, I wanna I wanna hear that now. I don't I didn't catch that. Go back and watch it, man. It's the, like I said, it's the kitchen scene where like you were talking about, oh, I had the gummy bears and missed the teacher I and I played basketball. You call me Shaq, yeah. That whole scene, yeah. That yeah. whole scene. At the end of it, when he like knocks over some shit, she's just like, Charlie, what are you doing? And they didn't bother to I, I maybe I gotta be mishearing this. And or this was largely influenced by money and drugs, because that's everybody involved in this movie was way into money and drugs. Yeah. Um, Which makes me ask the question, like the Uh, let's talk about Fran Drescher for a second okay amazing but like I was saying about Susan Sarandon the plot mechanics for her are insane and because everybody else in this movie is behaving as a human being I don't know how to understand if these are jokes or if I should be concerned about her but what in I can't even finish the sentence. She seems to be attracted to Jack, who is in the scene where they meet, clearly behaving like a child. So you would be concerned about like, how did this person become an employer? Maybe he's just very nervous. Okay, so maybe she's into shy receding guys, maybe, but it's still Robin Williams. And I love Robin Williams to death, but he's not a hunk of hunk of burning love. So when the very hairy man who is acting like a child comes into her world, she's just like, gotta fuck it. Please put it inside my body. And that's most of her, I I don't like this movie. Uh, I just read a piece of trivia that is ridiculous. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) what do you got? Coppola gave... Williams camping gear to spend the night in his backyard and $10 to spend at Toys R Us before shooting the film. I got to take that goes along with that. I actually think that Robin Williams was highly informed by gorillas in his performance. The scene in the backyard where he's, it's early in the movie and he's like messing with the cat, uh, the butterfly Uh, that comes back in the end. And that's an attempt at storytelling. Okay. But the first scene there's some uh, fairly famous this is a really generous way to describe it, but there's footage of gorillas that, uh, I don't know, Jane Goodall or some very famous primatologist took. And it, I feel like he did a scene study. It's almost moment for moment, him making the same faces that the gorilla makes when he's interacting with the butterfly. No, even when you, you're saying that, like I'm picturing just shots of him alone, like him just kind of sitting there, like watching them very, just observing them. And d- Robin Williams had that whole thing with that one gorilla that could speak sign language. And this was like at the exact same time, this movie yeah. is filmed in and around San Francisco, which is where Coco lived. And he was hanging out with gorillas a lot. I don't know what to say. I think Robin Williams made this movie based on a gorilla. That's my actual take. I actually like that though. That's very interesting to me. Like I said earlier, Williams is not the problem with this movie. He's making choices. He's committing. Nowhere else in the movie are they willing to commit or make a choice. It just keeps bouncing back and forth. 
I have two final notes. Do you have anything else? No, I don't because I do understand how this movie is a bad movie. I just think it's very sweet. And if you enjoy Robin Williams, it's an easy watch. I love Robin Williams, but I would file this in Patch Adams territory where I'm just like- Don't like Patch Adams either. You, I'm sorry, you do or you do not? I do like Patch Adams. I think it's a sweet movie and it's got Philip Seymour Hoffman, baby. Yeah, yeah. It's another movie that refuses to make a choice. And I, boy, Patch, oh boy. Yeah, we should do Patch Adams at some point then because- we'll add that to the list as well. I have opinions about that one. Uh, so I'll just say that Brian Kerwin, who is a very handsome man and a pretty good actor, giving me big Aaron Eckhart vibes. I think if we remade it, no. <laughs> no need to remake this movie. No, absolutely not. It exists one time for one reason, to apologize to Robin Williams. <laughs> That's the actual answer. The last thing I'll say is that uh, the end credit card of dedicated to Gia makes this movie make sense to me in a way that I cannot explain on microphone. So Dylan, get ready for some stories. I'm ready. <laughs> All right. That's been made in the 90s, folks. 